Glory to Jesus Christ. Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish presents Light of the East, a program revealing how the Eastern Catholic Churches have nourished the Roman Catholic Churches and today's world in profound ways through their histories, traditions, mysteries, and spirituality. Hello, I am Father Thomas J. Loya, pastor of Annunciation of the Mother of God Byzantine Catholic Church in Homer Glen, Illinois, and this is a story of the Eastern Churches, an inspiring story of faith, courage, intrigue, mystery, spirituality, dissension, and reconciliation. But most of all, this is an expression of a great experience of faith through our unique divine liturgy. Join with me now as we look toward the Light of the East. Light of the East is also supported by Eastern Christian Publications, where you can find the prayers of the Catholic Byzantine Daily Office at ecpubs.com and by easternchristianmedia.com, a broadband network for you to learn more about the Eastern Catholic Churches. That's easternchristianpublications.com. Glory to Jesus Christ. Welcome to Light of the East. I am Father Thomas Lawyer, your host. It is now the second Sunday of Lent in the Byzantine liturgical calendar, and hopefully you are getting deeper into the rigors of the Lenten season, the bright sadness, the flowering of repentance. This means you are fasting, hopefully from meat and dairy products, but also abstaining from other things that are excessive in our life, having to do with the virtues like envy, jealousy, laziness, narcissism despondency, all kinds of things that really are part of our fallen nature. They were never part of our original design. Now, during this time of Lent in the Byzantine tradition, one of the prayers that we say repeatedly is from an incredible, a marvelous, a wonderful saint. I would almost call him one of the patron saints of Lent, at least in the Eastern churches. His name is Saint Ephraim, and he was a Syrian And the prayer that we say over and over privately and also during our liturgical services during Lent in the Byzantine tradition is this, Lord and master of my life, spare me from the spirit of indifference, despair, lust for power, and idle chatter. Instead, bestow on me your servant, the spirit of integrity, humility, patience, and love. Yes, O Lord and King, let me see my own sins and not judge my brothers and sisters. For you are blessed forever and ever. Amen. Ephraim was a man of short words, brief words, but very poetic and very profound words. And this prayer, which is the quintessential prayer during Lent, needs to be looked at as all of his, actually his poetry, his spiritual writings need to be looked at in in a way where you slow down. You you meditate on these brief passages because they're so full. Lord and master of my life, spare me from the spirit of indifference. Now, isn't that incredibly relevant? Indifference. A lot of times when we think about our sinfulness, things we want to overcome or we confess, we are focusing on what I might call active things, obvious things, external things, things we did that we think were wrong or sinful. 
what we sometimes don't focus on as much, but we ought to really take a look at, especially during Lent, are things that we neglect, the things that we don't do, especially, as Ephraim is saying here, our indifference. For example, we have some really, really disturbing developments against the sanctity of life happening in our country, especially in certain states, such as mine in Illinois. The governor of Illinois has proudly boasted that he wants to make Illinois the most abortion-friendly state in the country. And so legislators are passing bills and promoting bills to make that happen. And there are many alerts going out to all of us from pro-life activists of all kinds, from people in the church and otherwise, begging us for urgent action to tell our government officials to vote against these efforts to promote abortion. And this is abortion even in the third trimester, even after the baby's born. You've heard about these things. Well, if we get these things in the email, we get them however, and we don't respond to them, and think of how crucial that is. We don't respond at all. That would actually be the sin of indifference. So indifference can be actually one of our more common, persistent, and serious offenses. And here, right away, at the beginning of Ephraim's prayer, he puts it up front. Spare me from the spirit of indifference. Then he goes on and says, despair, lust for power, and idle chatter. Isn't this incredibly relevant? And you know, St. Ephraim lived in the 4th century. He was born in 306 in the city of Nisibis, which is between Turkey and Syria today. As it was then, it is still today, a very contested region. So we're talking about someone who wrote something in the 4th century, and yet it's incredibly relevant today. Now that's a mark of a great saint. Then he says, instead, bestow on me your servant, the spirit of integrity, humility, patience, and love. Well, there's anything that we need more than anything else, I think it's humility. St. Basil the Great said that, you know why you get angry? Because you think too much of yourself, too prideful. Now, we might think to ourselves, what do you mean? No, no, you made me angry. That made me angry. I'm angry because of this, and I'm justified. It's amazing how we justify our anger. But people like St. Ephraim or St. Basil the Great, these great Eastern saints would say, no, no, you don't have a justification to be angry. Yes, there can be righteous anger, but that's a different kind. And that's far more rare, and it manifests itself differently. Righteous anger is what should motivate us to do things like respond to the plea to contact our government officials and tell them to vote against these laws that promote abortion. That would be righteous anger. It moves you to good action. But most of our anger comes from pride, from thinking too great of ourselves. And here in this prayer, Ephraim addresses that. Bestow on me your servant the spirit of integrity, humility, patience and love. Boy, one of the most often confessed sins, I must say, as a priest that I hear is lack of patience, especially from parents. (laughs) Lack of patience with their children and with their spouses. It's a very elusive virtue because it's also based in humility and pride. Instead, bestow on me your servant, the spirit of integrity. Now, what is integrity? Integrity means who we really are as human beings. Integrity means something has its own quality, unique to itself, its own essence. And integrity for the human person means to be like Christ, to be in the image and likeness of God. The human person images God. That's our integrity. And our mind and heart, our soul, our bodies all act in unison. That's another aspect of integrity. Everything fits together as a whole. It works as a unit, as a whole, in harmony. That's integrity. 
But you see, we are compartmentalized. We are fragmented. So our mind goes this way, our heart goes that way, our feelings go this way, our actions go that way. As St. Paul said in Romans, he doesn't want to sin, but he commits the very thing he doesn't want to commit because we're fragmented. So we pray for the gift of integrity. In other words, bring us back together again, homogenous, whole. Then he says, yes, O Lord and King, let me see my own sins and not judge my brothers and sisters, for you are blessed forever and ever. Amen. Not to judge my brothers and sisters, to see my own sin. This is why confession is so important to our integration, to our honesty as a Christian. It's especially what we need to do during Lent. At the very least, the church tells us, the church can't force us to go to confession. But it certainly can say that you need to go, you should go at least, at least bare minute once a year. And that's during the great penitential season, the season of the great fast. But it's so minimal. See, confession keeps us honest about ourselves and keeps us honest before God. It's one of the great gems and gifts of our faith. Let me say my own sins, not judge my brothers and sisters. We need to always ask ourselves, maybe there's a different way that I could look at this. Maybe it's me who has a hypersensitivity to something so that I get angry when this happens or someone says that or they don't say that. What we normally do, and this is very, very effective and handy for married couples. I tell married couples this all the time. What we do is we tend to look at the other person and blame them and say, well, you made me angry. When you do this, it makes me angry. I can't stand this. Or you always do that. Or you never that. We do that all the time because we feel justified in our anger, because we feel it, and therefore it must be so. But we need to step back and say to ourselves, maybe I need to look at this differently. Maybe I need to look at myself and ask myself, why do I become angry at this? Notice what I said there? I didn't say, why does that make me angry? I said, why do I become angry? In other words, it puts the onus on ourselves. It asks ourselves, why am I reacting to that particular data, that particular stimulus, what that person is doing and not doing? Why am I reacting that way? It makes us very honest about ourselves, very self-reflective, because that's the only thing we can really change is ourselves. We can't change another person, although we really want to. We want them to act as we want them to be. And St. Ephraim is saying here, no, no, see your own sins first. And when we change, others tend to change as well. doesn't mean they'll automatically change. But if you want someone to change, don't force it. Don't contrive it. Just change yourself. Adapt your own behavior to them. There's always something you can do or not to do that contributes towards a better situation. Don't wait for the other person to change. You can change yourself. You can't change them. So we look at situations and persons differently, and we stop catastrophizing. We ask ourselves, is it really so? Is it really this way? Is it really that bad? What is it in me that makes me sensitive to that? Why do I want that or that person to be this way? What's my hang-up? Why, why am I so focused on this? Should I be? Why, make, why am I making such a big deal of this? Should I? Should I reduce it down? See, the thing about St. Ephraim and these great ascetical fathers that we look at during Lent and the Byzantine church especially, is that every one of their brief but poignant poems, spiritual reflections, and prayers is full of richness, imagery, and reflection. And that's precisely one of the things we're called to do during this time of the great fast. I'm Father Thomas Leia on Light of the East.
Light of the East mission is Christianity's reunion. And to tell the story of the Eastern Lung of the Catholic Church, we need your support. In order to keep Light of the East on the air, you can make a donation now by going to byzantinecatholic.com. That's byzantinecatholic.com. And then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright. This is Bold Talk with Father Thomas Loyola. We live in strange times, full of contradictions, many of which we create and then force upon ourselves. An example. To hear the rest of this and other Bold Talks with Father Thomas Loya, visit TaborLife.org and go to the main menu and click Subscribe. This is Archbishop Salvatore Cordiglione of the Archdiocese of San Francisco, and you are listening to Light of the East. Father Loya invites you to see the new Tabor Life website. That's taborlife.org. When you land on the homepage, you can see how Tabor Life can help improve your marriage, your life, and how to see the beauty of God's created order in your personal life. On TaborLife.org, you can book Father Loya to speak to your organization about the key elements of leadership, relationships, and sexuality, as well as speak on cultural, social, and political issues. As a renowned artist, Father Loya can speak about how art, liturgy, and prayer fit together. On TaborLife.org, you can see the many ways of how you can communicate with us. And as you look to the lower right-hand corner of the page, Click on the messenger icon for live chat. And finally, Tabor Life Institute is a 5013C charitable organization that earnestly needs your support. Click on the support link at the top of the page and donate. After all, Tabor Life is powered by you. Welcome back to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Loyer, your host. We're looking at some of the great ascetics that are put before our eyes during this Lenten season, this time of the Great Fast, because they are our examples. They are actually what is normal. We might see them as extreme, but that's because we have to redefine what is normal, what the baseline is. And that's precisely what Lent is about. It's about stepping back from what we think is normal recognizing that it's really not normal, it's excessive or subnormal. By normal, we mean the integrity of a human being, how we are supposed to be, how we're designed by God to be. And the ones that knew that and strove for that were the great desert fathers, the great ascetics like St. Ephraim. St. Ephraim, as these great people are, were always ahead of their time. They remain contemporary for all times. For example, St. Ephraim was the one who actually encouraged women to create choirs and sing and divide praises in church. They weren't actually allowed to do that in his time. In fact, a metrical homily on St. Ephraim, written by another saint, Jacob of Sarug, in that homily, St. Jacob says this, The blessed Ephraim saw that the women were silent from praise, and in his wisdom he decided it was right that they should sing out. So just as Moses gave tambourines to the young girls, this discerning man composed hymns for them. He taught them to sing new songs of praise and purity of voice. He instructed them how to sing praise. 
O daughters of the nations, come close and learn a new form of praise. You put on the robe of praise from the font, as did your brothers, and from the single cup you received new life along with them. You and they have experienced a single salvation. So why then have you not learned to sing praises with a loud voice? Your voice has been silent because your mother Eve closed it. But now, through your sister Mary, it has been opened again to give praise. Ephraim also was ahead of his time in that he was the forerunner of what we know today as hospice. He would go out and form places that would care for people who were left on the street. See, they did not have hospitals then. I'm proud to say that St. Ephraim, another 4th century saint, St. Basil the Great, a Byzantine saint, who we mentioned earlier, they actually developed hospitals. In fact, St. Basil said that every diocese should have houses of hospitality and places to take in the sick. They would just leave them, basically, to die, many on the road back in those days. But Ephraim actually formed hospices where he would take people off the street who were very, very ill and make them as comfortable and as dignified as possible, even if they were close to death. So he was a man ahead of his time. But in a sense, we can say, like all great saints, they are for all times. They are timeless. Another thing is timeless is the beauty of words, of paradox, of poetry. And this is what we see as part of the the genius of this great saint, Ephraim, who is put before our eyes during this Lenten season. In fact, I'm going to call him the patron saint of Lent. (laughs) That's my term. It's not what the church officially has said, but that's my term. Listen to things like how we use this paradox. This is very typical of Eastern prayer and Eastern spiritual poetry. He said, your mother's womb is a cause for wonder. The Lord entered her and became a servant. He who is the word entered and became silent within her. Thunder entered her and made no sound. The shepherd of all entered, and in her he became a lamb, bleeding as he came forth. Your mother's womb has reversed the roles. The establisher of all entered in his richness, but became... The establisher of all entered in his richness, but came forth poor. The exalted one entered her, but came forth lowly. The splendid one entered her, but came forth with the lowly hue that he had put on. The mighty one entered and put on insecurity from her womb. The provision of all entered and experienced hunger. He who gives drinks to all entered and experienced thirst, naked and stripped. He who clothes all came forth from her. Christ was lying there, sucking Mary's milk. Yet all created things suck from his goodness. He is the living breast from his life. The dead have sucked living breath and come to life. Ephraim, in speaking about rural women, also said this, Fire did not heat the water for the washing, but the tears of the sinful woman were boiling hot through her own love. Through her tears she washed the dust on his feet, while he, through his words, washed the scars on her flesh. He brought the faith of this woman in the open with praise. He was a physician to her who believed. And then he has a poem relative to the role of women in which you're hearing the Virgin Mary speak. Because of you, a daughter of the poor is envied. Because of you, a daughter of the weak is an object of jealousy. Who gave you to me? What drew you to the poor? For Joseph is needy, And I am poor. Your merchants carry gold to the house of the poor. Blessed is the baby who made his mother the harp of his melodies. 
And he also said this, The word of the Father came from his womb and put on a body in another womb. The word proceeded from one womb to another, and chaste wombs are now filled with the word. Blessed is he who has resided in us. Isn't that beautiful and profound? He said the Word, capital W, means Jesus Christ. You know, He is the Word of God, the second person of the Trinity. The Word of the Father came forth from His womb. In other words, as we say in the processions of the Trinity, follows the Holy Spirit, that the Son proceeds from the Father, as does the Holy Spirit through the Son. So it's as if the God of the Father is the womb, and the Son is proceeding from the womb, but then He enters another womb, an earthly womb, So he proceeds from one womb to the other and therefore makes all chaste wombs filled with the word. Now, this is a very beautiful meditation that's very applicable to life issues and also to marriage, how men should see womanhood. By virtue of Christ entering the womb of the virgin, her womb becomes a tabernacle. She becomes the living tabernacle. And by extension, every woman who is made like the Virgin Mary has a womb, and therefore her womb is also sanctified. So every woman, in a certain mystical sense, has within her own body a tabernacle, a holy place, a meeting place between heaven and earth. And that should determine how man approaches woman's body with a certain reverence and understanding of the intrinsic holiness and relevance of womanhood by the virtue of the fact that she has a womb, a woman's womb that was entered into by the Word, God Himself. And every woman's womb is a reflection of the tabernacle, the mystical tabernacle of the Virgin Mary, but also even the tabernacle in the church. What houses God? What contains God in the church? The tabernacle. And so that's a metaphor, an analogy for the womb of womanhood. He says, blessed is he who resided in us. Because he resided in us, he incarnated himself in us. God has made every woman's womb a sanctified place. All the more reason why we should not approach woman's womb except with the greatest holiness and intention. Certainly not to invade it, to snuff out life. And speaking of the human body, he says this. Who will not give thanks to the hidden one, the most hidden of all, who came to open the truth, the most open of all? He put on a body, and other bodies felt him, although minds never grasp him. If the Lord has despised the body as something unclean or hateful and foul, then the bread and the chalice of salvation should be something hateful and unclean. For how could Christ have despised the body, yet clothe himself in the bread? Now, there is a great, great meditation on how we see the human body in relation to the Eucharist. If we don't believe in the sanctity of the human body made in the image likeness of God, then we don't really acknowledge the real presence of the Eucharist. Because, because if Christ could despise the body, as Ephraim says here, if he has despised the body as something unclean or hateful, as we sometimes do, then the bread and chalice of salvation should be something hateful and unclean as well. But God did not despise the chalice and the bread. He became incarnate through that and through and incarnate through the human body. Therefore, we have to believe in the sanctity of both the Eucharist and the human body. And finally, Ephraim, we can go on for a long time with him, but he says this, when God created the world, he gazed at it and adorned it with his images. 
streams of his symbols opened, flowed, and poured forth his symbols on its parts. How we see God, how we see creation through the eyes of God, sacramentally is additive before the fall. That is what Lent is about, to bring us back, to retrieve that original sacramental vision as expressed so beautifully in the poetry and prayer of this great Lenten saint, Saint Ephraim the Syrian. Thank you for listening. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. To hear Light of the East again, visit byzantinecatholic.com and click on the Features and Programs tab and on iTunes. Thank you for listening to Light of the East. We encourage you to tell a friend about Light of the East and to visit byzantinecatholic.com. Light of the East is produced by ADC Media. Lenten Reflection with Monsignor Charles Pope. As Lent progresses, we move closer and closer to Good Friday, where our Lord will suffer so much for us. One of the underconfessed sins is greed. It's always that other guy that's greedy, that guy that earns a dollar more an hour than I do. We, we tend to think it's other people that are greedy, but I'm not. I wonder, though, if all of us don't realize that greed is a real problem for us. Greed is the insatiable desire for more. And in Lent, one of the goals of fasting and almsgiving is to begin to look to this desire in our life. We just have too much stuff and it weighs us down. Lent's a good time to clean your closet. Lent is a good time to let go of some things and perhaps bring some things to the thrift shop, give some clothing to the poor. We always think that we need more and that's that insatiable desire for more and it's never enough. So in Lent we look to repent of our greed. Lenten programs now through Holy Thursday on EWTN Radio and TV. Thank you for listening. Next week, we will return to the light of the East. To learn more about Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish, visit our website, byzantinecatholic.com, where you will also find an archive of all of our programs. In order to continue Light of the East with its mission of Christianity's reunion, we need your support with a donation. Any amount will be a blessing. Please make out a check to Light of the East Radio and send it to Light of the East, 14610 Will Cook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. That's Light of the East, 14610 Will Cook Road, spelled W-I-L-L-C-O-O-K Road, Homer Glen, Illinois. Or donate online on the homepage of ByzantineCatholic.com. From the light of the East, a new dawn of unity is in sight. God bless you, go with God, and may God grant you many happy years. Oh.